and welcome to Analytics at ServiceNow. I'm your host, Alex Sanginov. In the next seven episodes, we will share the ins and outs of leading a successful analytics team to run the company by data. In today's episode, we're joined by Brian Hoffman, leader of data science team that helped make everyone at ServiceNow smarter every day. So let's hear it from him, how to make AI smarter every day. Hello and welcome to the show, Brian. How's everything going? Great. Thanks a lot, Alex. Things are going very well. I cannot say how enthusiastically I was waiting specifically for this episode because I have so many questions to ask. I, I have to be honest, right? Uh, AI is, feels like, you know, as if a new era or a new gold nowadays, right? Uh, any feature, any product that we see, you know, AI is already embedded and of course, you know, I want to address, uh, I would like you to help uh, address you know, the elephant in the room. Is AI and ML still a black box? And if no, how would you explain it to a five-year-old? Uh, I'm setting the bar really high, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> great, great questions. Thanks, Alex. So is, is AI or ML, is it still a black box? The answer is no. Um, Actually, the answer is probably it depends. It depends on what's most important to you, right? So whenever, whenever we work with the stakeholder that, that has a need for ML or AI to help them run the business, um, we ask them, uh, what's more important, accuracy or explainability in, in your results? Sometimes explainability is the most important factor because people hate making important decisions if you're giving them uh, what you think is the right decision to make, but you can't tell them anything about why it's right. And it's natural for people to be, people to be skeptical, naturally uh, uh, skeptical. Um, so there are some ML techniques that we use where the, the decision uh, being provided is very transparent. You can see sets of rules, you can see um, the input data, the values of the metrics, and you can understand, okay, the model's saying this, because of, of these factors and because in historic observations, those values led to certain outcomes. Other times, accuracy is really important. Right. Um, in those cases, they may be willing to take some trade-off in terms of explainability versus, versus uh, um, accuracy. Um, so if, if um, explainability is important, we use techniques to generate what we call reason codes that explain why is this model saying this is a good customer to, to sell to, or why is the model saying that uh, this support ticket's gonna take longer to close than average. Um, so, so we can rely upon those methods and <clears throat> the research that's been done in terms of explainability in order to make sure we provide that alongside the actual prediction or recommendation. Now, in terms of explaining it to a five-year-old, um, I'll give that a stab. Um, yeah. Fortunately, my five-year-old doesn't ask questions like that, but, but um, <laughs> I would say ML and AI, they use math to help predict, recommend, or make decisions. Um, so for example, if you wanted to know whether or not mom and dad would say yes to a play date request. Okay. Um, Two of the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would consider things like how often have they said no in the past and do they seem to like your friends and do they have to spend a lot of time cleaning up after your play dates? Um, so if you 
had observed these, the answers to those questions over time, you would probably have a pretty good idea of whether or not they would say yes or no. But um, ML and AI help you to make a math relationship that gives you some measure of confidence in how they're going to respond. I could not agree with you more. I think uh, even five-year-olds are uh, too smart these days where they know exactly at the right time, especially doing, you know, sheltering in place and working from home, they know exactly to, when to ask for what they want, <laughs> especially when you're in an important meeting uh, like this one right now. Yeah, maybe uh, kids have their own AI model. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so peeling the onion one layer down, uh, can you walk us through what uh, is a, a typical day of a data scientist is like and what does it really take to build an AI or ML capability from end to end? Like where do you start? You know, where do you consider it a success and what, uh, what are those you know, success criteria? Mm -hmm. yep. So if you're going to build AI ML capability, um, one of the most important factors is data. And in fact, that's a big reason why I joined ServiceNow almost eight years ago is that yeah. I could see that we had contract data, usage uh, data, support data, um, information about accounts, uh, just tons and tons of different data types and mm. it was being curated into these nice, this nice data warehouse. And there were even snapshots of that data going back daily years so that is really valuable and a compelling uh, uh, use case to a to the data scientist because that's the oftentimes the type of information that we need in order to make reliable robust models that predict what's going to happen next predict customer behavior or um, or uh, whether or not a sales rep's going to attain their their quota um, so that's an important factor having data warehouse, a nice curated data warehouse. I always point out that Shiva and his team make our jobs easy by um, maintaining those, that big, beautiful data warehouse. Right. Um, it also takes data engineers because when you're talking about that volume of data, um, most of our data scientists can write a SQL join statement, but if they have to write two or 300 of them in order to get data all together and make sure it's in the right format um, and, um, mm -hmm. and it's accurate, well, some of our data scientists can do that, but it's better if we leave it to the true experts, the true pros. Um, it also takes data scientists, so people that understand statistics, they understand uh, machine learning algorithms, they know what algorithms are good matches for which problems, or how do I, how do, what kind of feature engineering, how do I structure the metrics that I'm gonna use in the model so that the model will get the maximum use out of them. And then finally, it takes good use cases. Um, you can have all of those other things, but if you yeah. don't have an engaged business saying, yeah, we think we know how we can use this and um, right. we see the value, then you know, it's, uh, it's just speculation without great use cases and engagement from the business. So, um, right. so that's what it takes to build uh, that, that capability. In terms of a day in the life of, um, our data scientists, you know, they're, they're usually either attending meetings to figure out how are we going to, what are we going to do, what are we going to provide in a project, what's the target, what's the business process. Understanding the business process is imperative because Absolutely. if you can't tailor what you're building to what the business needs 
and how they're going to use it, then it's just going to collect dust. Right. Um, and then uh, in, the data scientists have to be good at um, programming. Um, they also need to do lots of data profiling. And that's one thing that if somebody starts out in data science school or getting an ML yeah. degree, they don't know up front. A lot of your time is going to be spent doing correlation matrices and looking at data relationships and, and trying to fix data because even our data is not perfect at ServiceNow. There are gaps in the data. Um, there is bias in the data. So figuring right. out what, what may be a little shady about this data set and how am I going to adjust for it um, is, is another step. The data scientists spend a lot of time working with our fabulous data engineers to pull all that data together. Um, and then they start applying the algorithm. So they need to know, you know what, not only what, did, what do most data scientists use, but sometimes what are some of the specialized techniques that, that we use at ServiceNow, we use we actually use a great technique that was developed by Google called causal impact that lets us figure out if if something happened at a certain point in time, did it right. change what was happening? So we use that for figuring out are people getting benefits from the ML tools that the, right. the predictions that we make? Are they using them, and then are they getting a benefit from it? So. Okay. Um, that's how our data scientists and data engineers spend their time um, figuring out use cases, um, talking to subject matter experts, talking to stakeholders, um, looking at lots and lots and lots of data, um, and yeah. uh, in the end, deploying the solutions. Sometimes we, we work with what we call proxies. So if mm -hmm. your renewal term is three years, right. <laughs> and you're at one and a half years, um, you obviously probably don't have any customers that are renewed, but you could use proxies in the data to say, mm -hmm. okay, we don't, have a, we don't have renewal observations yet, but which customers have bought more? So right. you may consider the ones that haven't bought more or the ones that are having poor uh, survey results. Or, so you may choose some proxy in the data to say, when we get the full data, we'll, we'll finish out using that as the target, but in the interim, we can use a a proxy for the desired behavior and model based on that so that we don't have to wait another year and a half before <laughs> we can try to get any benefits from them. Right. Yeah, especially when you're making a decision and you have to wait a year and a half. Wow. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a long, that's, a, <laughs> that's a long vacation. That's a long vacation for a data scientist. <laughs> right. Uh, and of course, so there is always, you know, this concept of, well, hey, you know, what if the AI or this, you know, ML goes rogue, right? How mm -hmm. do you ensure that it's, uh, I don't know, control is the right word? You can guide it or control it, what it can do, what it cannot do, and what are the pros and cons of doing that? Well, are we talking Skynet here or are we talking... <laughs> Sending unsolicited email to a thousand, uh, a thousand contacts. What are we talking about here, Alex? Well, it, it's a um, good question. Uh, probably, you know, within the context of business, right? Uh, anything that we develop and uh, how much supervision uh, does it require for an AI? Or can we just, you know, build it and leave it? You know, it's going to just improve on its own over time. Uh, and what are the chances of AI going rogue? Mm -hmm. the, well, the chances of it going rogue are actually pretty good. 
if you build it and leave it and don't don't inspect it or don't monitor it and the reason for that is because business changes over time so right. your data in the model may be relying upon whether or not the customer uh, uh, purchased training mm -hmm. but if you add another category to that field in that table that the model hasn't seen before there's the possibility of it coming to different conclusions based on the the new data that exists the new values in the data so you can certainly work to try to minimize those that behavior and the chances of that occurring but nobody's perfect i mean when you're working with a data set um, sometimes it's hard to think that far ahead that okay we may not even be in the software business in three or four years maybe we've worked and we're um we're, we're doing something else completely different um, so that's why it's important to put in checks and balances. And um, it may be a surprise to hear that we actually use ML to monitor ML results and models, but, um, but we do. Um, our team, uh, teammates like Sabanjan have built processes to monitor, to use ML to monitor ML predictions and tell us whether or not they're getting a little crazy or a little shady um, and to monitor the input data and say, is this, Data, are there new values here? Is it, are there lots of missing values when they weren't before? Have the values, have the average values shifted over time? So those are the kinds of checks and balances we're work, working to put in, in terms of governance for AI and ML models. Wow, it uh, reminded me of the Transformers movie. So you pretty <laughs> much bring the Optimus Prime. <laughs> That's right. Make sure Decepticon <laughs> doesn't go, you know, off and doing its own thing again. <laughs> Maybe we should rename our uh, our internal product that monitors other models to Optimus Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, let's peel one layer down. Mm -hmm. uh, to start off with, what do you have a favorite um, ML model? And why? I, I do. I have two that I have a really strong affinity for. Okay. Um, one is called the decision trees. And the reason I love decision trees is they're so simple. Um, yeah. The concept is you have your data in, in rows and columns and you define which, um, what the, the target is or the variable that's important to you. Like, is a customer going to renew or not? Or yeah. um, is a rep going to attain their quota or not? And then it uses all the other fields to look for a way to split the data into two. And it chooses that on the basis of how much of an improvement in prediction uh, accuracy am I gonna get by making this split. So it does that, it goes through every column and figures out the ideal split point, and then it does it again. It can even split on the same column again, but it, it tries all the other columns in the same column to see is there another split point so I can break the data into either into even smaller subgroups, each of which is homogenous in terms of outcomes. So it will break it out into good and bad outcomes or high and low values of a, mm. of a variable. It's really easy to explain to people because you can take the right. path um, yeah. and that becomes the rules that, um, that uh, help explain how it would score um, uh, another observation in the future. Um, and, and they make some nice visualizations. Um, so decision trees are an easy favorite. Um, in terms of a more modern uh, algorithm, gradient boosted machines are kind of like, you can think of them as uh, decision trees uh, 
on steroids or lots and lots of decision trees uh, that are um, grouped together in a, in a specific way. Um, Kaggle is a competition in data science um, where anybody can enter these competitions to make predictions based on a common data set. And over time, gradient-boosted machines were techniques that really started to win more and more of those Kaggle competitions. So, um, so we, um, many of our models uh, at uh, ServiceNow are gradient-boosted machine models simply because they're, um, they're, they're, very, uh, they're usually pretty darn accurate. They can handle yeah. large amounts of data. Um, they do require some optimization, but we've, we've got processes for optimizing the, the input parameters. And we even have um, both internally developed and external methods for deriving reason codes from those models. So that it, even though it's a nice complex method that gives robust results, we can still derive reason codes for explaining why is the model saying that um, this person um, is probably going to get a bonus. Uh, um, and what are, what are the, what's the relevant information? What, um, and how does that tie back to historical observations? Interesting. I am beginning to think that uh, decision trees are almost practical. Uh, can, you <laughs> give us, uh, can, can you give us a quick example of you know, what is the simple decision tree that someone might in encounter on a daily basis, mm -hmm. even you know, with making a quick decision, I'm assuming, right? You just you know, go between options mm -hmm. and then versus you know, the radiant boost booster you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, well, so let's go back to our five-year-old example. Um, right. If, uh, yeah. if one of the input criteria, one of the input pieces of data to our model is, how many people am I requesting to come over for a play date? Um, <laughs> and uh, maybe the, the, the uh, target variable is whether or not mom and dad are mad after the play date. Um, you may look, you may be able to just manually look at the data and say, okay, if the value is one, they're, they're generally happy. They're not usually too unhappy. But if the number gets above five, mm. they are grumpy. They won't even, <laughs> they send me to bed as soon as people leave because they have to clean up so much stuff. They have to, they have to paint the walls. They may, <laughs> may have to replace the drapes. So they're right. grumpy. You may be able to just look through the data manually and see, okay, when the value gets above five, almost assuredly they're angry. So, so that's an example of a, a really simple decision tree. Um, an example of a simple gradient booster machine, not so much, right? These are sets of, uh, in essence, these are sets of um, uh, weekly uh, predictive learner. You can think of them as sets of weekly predictive um, decision trees that when you combine them all together, give you a good idea what's going on across lots of different cases. So um, explaining the structure of gradient booster machines not so easy, but um, but uh, there are that's why there are some nice techniques for deriving reason codes that say, okay, if um, among all the, the set of decision trees or starting at at the nodes of sets of um, decision uh, of gradient booster ma ma uh, machine trees, right? What rises? What is the most frequent starting node, or how often do um, variables appear in um, the different branches of the tree. So that's, that's part of the, the process for explaining. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine and uh, how complex, you know, those uh, ML models, you know, that go through and how quickly 
they can analyze you know tons of data and come up you know with split uh, split second you know, decisions right it's amazing uh, so going in this might be an odd question uh, but of course and everyone has being the data people <laughs> we always you know are curious of you know each other's you know preferences what would you say your uh, least favorite data type is <laughs> That's a great question. Um, in fact, that's a question I, I use um, in interviewing uh, data scientist candidates. Um, and it's a, it's a good question because um, inexperienced data scientists will say things like, oh, I love all kinds of data. Or um, what, if they have more experience, they may say things like, you know, text is a challenge um, because uh, working with a variety of unstructured text can pose challenges, but also pose great opportunities. Um, sometimes data scientists will say, oh, image files or clobs or blobs are, are tough to work with. But the right answer, the uniformly correct answer is yeah. date type fields, because those occur in so many different formats um, that, wow. that um, it can be a challenge adjusting the algorithm so what is it expecting the format to be does it include minutes seconds are there colons between the the different portions right. of time is it year month day day month year um did it differ from different geographies um even if you just write out data to an excel spreadsheet um right. there's a good chance it's not going to look like what you thought it was going to look like so um yeah. in fact uh, our first data scientist that we hired kanishka uh, Goswami, um, that was a question I posed to him and, and he laughs, he chuckles when he hears me interviewing other data scientists. Uh, so that, that really is my, my least favorite uh, data type. Wow, I did not know that, but I can to totally relate to it. Uh, even in other parts of the world, outside of US, of course, you know, there are date formats, you know, the temperature. Well, temperature is more or less, you know, you can guess it if it's above 40, chances are it's in Fahrenheit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with date, I totally agree that, uh, yeah, there are so many combinations. Uh, I'm glad I asked. Now I know the answer. <laughs> uh, and uh, coming into a uh, more strategical piece of, you know, having this, you know, capability within the company and within the teams, right? If other analytics, you know, leaders would want to establish a data science team within their teams and, or, you know, companies, organizations, mm -hmm. what would it take them? And more importantly, why should they, ha should they even have or consider establishing a data science team? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, those are a couple of great questions. Um, I guess if you're a, a, if you're a leader in a, in a department um, and you, you need to consider, do you want to invest in your own bubble of data scientists and data engineers, or do you want to take advantage of a centralized resource? Um, and at ServiceNow, there both exist. Um, you know, we have a large, we have a good number of data scientists and data engineers in the IT group. Um, that work on a variety of projects. They've worked with lots of different data. They um, are familiar with processes of deploying models, um, getting them incorporated into dashboards um, or into applications. Right. Um, there are also some, um, some pockets of data scientists embedded within some departments um, that, that typically worked on very specialized tasks, um, but may not be able to take advantage of 
knowledge of, okay, what's the latest data going in the data warehouse or what's on the roadmap for data that we may be able to take advantage of. Um, so there, there are um, pros and cons on both sides, but I think ServiceNow gets a lot of value from having a nice centralized resource um, in terms of data science. And those data scientists have the benefit of having worked on a variety of different projects. So they have the benefit of knowing how marketing leads play a factor in trying to predict downside. Um, if the number of leads coming into marketing has dried up, then the customer is much more likely to have a downsell. So if they worked on a marketing project and then later on a, um, a renewals project, they'll have the benefit of knowledge of all of the different data types. Um, so that's, that's something that the leaders really need to, to ask themselves. Um, what would it take them to, to develop them? Well, they need access to the data, the knowledge of the data. They probably need either a data scientist that's a two-star athlete and can do data engineering and data science. They need to ask themselves, how are they going to use results? Is this just for, is, are the results used for making a, 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 a single or a set of decisions or is this something that want, they want to be shared with the entire company and if so, how is that going to happen? Is that going to happen in a, in a dashboard or do they need to set up a, a web service to service applications? Um, so there, are, you know, there's a full set of information, questions that they need to ask themselves uh, um, whether or not they, to help them determine whether or not they want uh, one or two data scientists um, in their specialized team or if they want a nice centralized resource that can cover a lot of, a lot of time. Okay, that's very insightful. And I do agree that, you know, having that, you know, broad spectrum of perspective and having a broader view definitely, you know, makes you a data, better data scientist because now you see the full picture of, you know, how one model can potentially touch, you know, multiple uh, uh, touch points, you know, across you know, the customer journey, uh, for instance, right? Yeah. Uh, and coming into, uh, for individuals who are, uh, inspired or you know aspired you know to be a data scientist what skill set would they would be would you consider to be essential for someone to be successful in their uh, data science journey in the future mm -hmm. or should well, we even consider it well these days you know, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not going to get a degree in machine learning um, and i say that because of the wide variety of techniques um, in terms of algorithms the mathematics uh, required for understanding how they function and whether or not to believe the results, um, the statistical knowledge that's required in order to be able to evaluate results and, and be able to represent them credibly to, um, to stakeholders and end users. Um, programming is a, a critical skill. Um, uh, in, in, in programming, the most common languages in machine learning are Python and R. Um, and then, you know, good data scientists are also good at telling a story with the results. So they're able to explain the insights that they derive from building models. And building models almost always result in some form of insight. Um, if we think back to our, our five-year-old example, uh, an insight might be, Hey, if I ask for um, four or more people to come over, uh, right. that idea, um, maybe it's better to have one play date with one person one day and <laughs> with another the next day instead of a 
right. and having that angry. So being able to represent data in in slides and be able to tell the story of okay. what's important, why were we pursuing this, um, uh, how does it relate to what's important to the stakeholder and to the company, mm -hmm. um, and, and then using data to, to finish the story and provide the information that people need to do their job. Right. Okay. So if I uh, summarize so far what I, what I learned from this chat is AI is no longer a black box. It can be explained to a five-year-old. Uh, the best ML model to use is decision, make, uh, decision tree. <laughs> and do not use, you know, date type. <laughs> and do not like it. Uh, it definitely takes, you know, broad set of uh, challenges to establish an AI capability. And more importantly, it's more of a, each company has their own decision to make. Uh, whether you know they would like to establish a data science team or not, but it definitely is a must-have uh, based on what I hear, and I uh, and I can probably speak to others that yes, if, if you do not have it, you're definitely late in the game. Uh, Hire some data scientists, <laughs> and of course, you know my last but not least uh, question. It's a two-prong question. Uh, what would you say your biggest achievement so far as a data science team? as you lead the team, and what would you say your biggest lessons learned? Mm -hmm. Well, first, let me say, um, you, you need to just accept the fact that it's going to be painful to work with date time field um, <laughs> and plan for a little extra time for working with that because it's, it's often essential, uh, especially if you're working with historical data. But, um, but in terms of the uh, biggest achievement, um, the, the Hot Prospects dashboard um, is, is a great achievement from the ML team. They've put together lots of great models, but this one in particular uses lead scoring, the recommendation, propensity, uh, mm. propensity to buy predictions. Right. And we've gotten some fabulous accolades um, from the marketing team and from other teams, um, from the ADR team, um, about their, the, the benefits they get from using it. So we're really excited about continuing to support those teams and branching out and, and serving uh, other teams even more widely. You know, we, we do serve a, a variety of teams like the sales team, the renewals team, um, um, yeah, but we're loving hearing all the success stories come from ADRs as they, they use the product. Um, biggest lessons learned, um, you know, building the model and deploying a model is one thing, um, but uh, educating people on how to use it um, um, and, and making sure the business has a clear idea and a cadence around use is another. So we've learned how to use ML to uh, monitor the use of ML models. So we can figure out who are the power users, who are the, the medium or low uh, frequency users, and who are the non-users, and then use that information to foster adoption. So for instance, we've had power users give um, uh, webinars to their peers explaining the benefits they get from using ML models. Um, and we use uh, ML models to track the benefits that individuals or that the company gets from using the models. Um, so I guess if, if I had to do something all over again, right. um, it might have been to, to build that component in with every model, right? To, mm. to make sure that the stakeholder had bought into um, 
monitoring use jointly together. We sit together on a regular basis and say, oh, here are the people that are using it. Here's the benefits they're getting. How do we get the other people that, um, this, that the, for whatever reason, they joined after enablement was performed or they yes. forgot how to use it? Um, how do how would we make it top of mind? How do we explain it will help them achieve their 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 business goals? It will help them get their bonus, help them get attainment, help them book the meeting, uh, help them land the client, uh, things along those lines. That that's what we um, that's one of the challenging parts, and uh, I think we we're in a good place now because we can focus on that with every project. Awesome, I could not agree more and uh, reflecting back on a couple other episodes for those who are uh, joining and you know listening to this one i would highly recommend uh, starting from the first episode where vj you know touched on this enablement piece uh, very strongly as well as you know part of the knowledge graph uh, we uh, we had a lot of you know great discussion around this topic and could not agree with you more brian uh, that as we develop these you know new capabilities it has to be uh, embedded part of those. I'm quoting, you know, a few folks from the prior uh, episodes. And uh, Brian, this has been a great chat. Thank you very much for taking the time uh, uh, talking about, you know, AI and how you successfully lead the data science team here at ServiceNow. I look forward, you know, having another episode with you in the future. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Alex. This was an episode 4 of a 7-part series of Analytics at ServiceNow. In the next episode, we will cover the fourth pillar of analytics strategy, analytics and workflows. Be sure to tune in because we will deep dive into the happy ending of analytics meeting workflows, how they complete each other, and how difficult it is to imagine one without the other. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your peers and network. Until next time.